even for repentance, Lord. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. You guys may be seated. Say hi to someone standing around you, and you guys can take a seat. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, there we go. There we go. Because there's some coffee in the back if you're falling asleep. Um, so good to be here with you guys this morning as we jump into uh, another portion of Luke's gospel. Uh, a few announcements before we even get started with that. Um, we are going to be uh, this week, my family and I are having our, I'm calling it the, the leadership Mammoth retreat because all, all the leaders are heading up to Mammoth <laughs> and uh, it's going to be fun and we're going to be gone for um, from Monday to Friday. So this particular week, there is not going to be any evening services. So no Wednesday night, no Friday night men's. Uh, so uh, just keep that, be aware of that. Uh, but we are going to be right back here on Sunday morning next week uh, to continue our study in Luke's gospel. And with that, uh, I want to encourage you guys, if you guys desire to be leaders and want to grow, and your leadership, we do meet here at Sunday mornings for prayer at 9 a.m. Uh, so you guys could jump into that. And also, too, uh, I want to encourage you guys to the following week, uh, men, if you guys want to join us, we're going to be meeting again 7 p.m., not this Friday, but the following Friday uh, to continue our, our men's fellowship study. And, and with that, if you guys would turn your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, we want to pass one out to you. So if there's anyone here who would like a, a, a Bible, we do have that available. Just raise your hand and we will give you a, a Bible. We got one in the back. Um, going once, going twice, sold for the gentleman in the back. Uh, <laughs> here you go. Uh, now the, gift, the, the word of God is a free gift to man and woman. So you're good. <laughs> and, and with that... Um, Man, uh, a lot to cover this morning. Last week, uh, the, the title of the study last week was Seeking First the Kingdom. And, and Jesus is preparing his disciples for his return. Uh, this week, I titled my study today, Prepare for the Lord. And, and what a, a timely message as you, we see what's happening in our world, in politics, in, in our, our government, in society. We, we see that the world is getting ready for the Lord's return. Jesus said that in the last days, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars that are going to be taking place. And, and that eventually the Antichrist is going to rise up to, receive, to then say, look, everyone who's going to follow after me in my one world society is going to need to receive the mark of the beast. And you won't be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to, to be in business, and they're going to come after those who are not receiving the mark. You see, there's people in your life that you've warned them about Jesus' return. You've told them. And when Christ comes and removes his church from the world, they're going to remember those things you told them. And we pray that the, the Spirit would work in their hearts so that at that moment they realize, oh my gosh, they were right. The Bible talked about the, the rapture taking place 
And that at that point, they would awaken and say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to receive any mark that any world leader is going to try to put out there. And they're going to remember that. But the consequence is that those who are left behind, many of them are going to die during the Great Tribulation and become tribulation saints. And many of them will have to face either get the mark or have your head chopped off. Man. It's kind of interesting. Right now in America, capital punishment is lethal injection for the most part. Now, the severing of the head, where do we see that taking place in this world today? In the Middle East, right? And, and what do we see happening right now in Afghanistan? Taliban, right? They're growing. And we pray for our troops. I don't want to get uh, too far off in my excitement for all the things that I see coming in this world right now because we have a study tonight, this morning, that I know that the Lord is going to encourage us this morning to prepare for the Lord because sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes I don't have the mind of, oh my gosh, the rapture is happening. You know, I need to start ministering to the people who are out there in my life. I don't have that mind sometimes. And I want to stir that up in my life today. And I hope you guys get stirred up as well. So before we even jump into how do we begin to even prepare for the Lord's return, because maybe for some of us that seems so far off in the distance, something that we need to understand that's very important to us is that we must know who our God is. And we see that from the Word. See, there was a theologian named A.W. Tozer that said what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Again, I'll say that. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the reason being is because the way you view God is going to shape your entire life. How, if you think that God is a squirrel on the backside of San Dimas Mountain, then you're going to live your life like there's just craziness going on. If you view God as a, a puppet master who is mean and just wants to terrorize this world, then you're going to live your life in such a way. But if you know that God is all love, that he has a plan for your life, that changes things. You see, almost all of life problems and solutions are based on right and wrong views of God right here. So before we even get to preparing for the Lord, I, I am going to take a little detour on, on the attributes of God this morning. So that we can understand the God that we serve. Because the more you know God, the more you get. That's like, it's a relationship. You know, when you want to get to to know your, your future spouse, and even currently, as we just watched on the, the Fireproof movie this past Friday, you study your spouse. And there's times in our life when, uh, as men, maybe we, we don't study our spouses anymore. So we need to kind of stir that back up and like, what, what were those things that I, that I did when I first started dating my wife? What were those things that caused me to stir up and learn more about who she is? And in that same way, that same relationship, what was it like when you were first saved? What was it like to experience the Holy Spirit come upon your life to begin to speak to you? You started to learn about who God is. You wanted to know who God was, who Jesus was, his disciples. 
So one of the attributes of God that I want to highlight, I'm going to highlight just a few of them this morning. The first one is God's omnibenevolence. Now keep in mind, oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I'm skipping ahead on my notes. Something before we even know that God is all loving is uh, uh, that God lives in one eternal presence. I have, I have a slide this morning. Uh, I think it might be of that picture. Uh, yes. Something to understand about our God, the God that we serve. He lives in one eternal presence. You see, we have on this chart here the beginning of creation all the way past the final judgment. Now this little chart, it has 1994 in the middle. Just say that's 2021 in the middle, okay? But with this chart, what we see is, is that God is existing outside of time in all these places because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once, but God cannot be restricted by time. God created time. God created space. And he set all this forth. And God is in every moment. So you can't escape from God. If Elon Musk makes it to Mars, there's God is. If we try to run from, from God the way Jonah did, God will follow us down into that fish's whale or the fish's belly. You see, God is existing in one eternal presence. This is what I love about that, is that then God has a plan. I, I See, I, we're living moment by moment, and we don't know what the future is. We're like on this train, and it, the train's traveling, and there's been people in carts behind us, and there's been people in carts ahead of us. But God is like on a helicopter looking down at the whole train, and he sees the beginning to the end. See, God lives in that one eternal presence outside of time. Now with that, the first attribute I want to highlight this morning is God's omnibenevolence. We know God has a plan for our life. The word omnibenevolent means all love. It's all good also. So whatever God is, he's 100% of it. There's no evilness in God. There's no wickedness in him. So if God is good, he's all good. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. See, God is love. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. You see, God is always pouring out his love. You see, now, sometimes we're thinking, well, uh, I feel like God doesn't pour out his love in my life. And sometimes people get that mentality of like, no, God hates me. But the reality is God, because he's omnibenevolent, he's always pouring out love. It's the reality is that people are turning away from it. They're not receiving his love. Maybe there's things in a person's life that are, are breaking that fellowship so that they're not receiving the love. But God is always pouring out his love. So much so that he, he sent his only son, Jesus, who was also God. And there's a, even a, a depth now of look at the attributes of Jesus. Something to understand even about the God-man Jesus. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. 
He's not 50-50. He's not like Hercules, I'm half God, half human. He was 100% God and 100% man. So what's interesting about that is we began to understand, did God die? No, you can't kill God. Jesus in his flesh, the man died. In his divinity, he never died. The Holy Spirit rose him from the grave. And we could go even deeper on that topic. But my next attribute about God is God's omniscience. See, God knows all things. And the Bible talks about that throughout the entire scripture, that there's nothing that escapes God. He knows all things. My other attribute that I have here is God's immutability. This is that says that God does not change. He is unchanging. God never loses his own integrity or lets others down because God is self-sufficient. Sometimes people think, well, God created humans because he was lonely. Him and Jesus were just sitting there like, oh, what do you, oh, man, I'm kind of bored. What do you guys think we should do today? I don't know. You got an idea, pinky and brain? No, that's not who our God is. God, the same way that you guys decided, some of you, to have children, many of you, as I look around the room, decided to have children, was you guys wanted to to have a a child to, to pour that love on who can experience that love knowing full well that, that our children would have the capability of turning against us. And in that same way, God knew that some of us would turn against him. But God, out of love, desired that we can experience his love too. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. We read, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Well, at this point, I, I got to ask myself, wait, well, doesn't the Bible say that there's times when God changes his mind? And I, and I read that in scripture that it says the Lord changed his mind. Look at Exodus chapter 32, verse 14. It says, so the Lord relented from harm which he said he would do to his people. And that word relent is to turn back. He held back. So how do we then justify this? Well, there's another term I have for us this morning. It's a theological term. I talked about it last week. It's an anthropomorphism. So an anthropomorphism is speaking or describing God in human terms. And these terms about God, they're not to be taken literally. Some examples of that in the Bible. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. It says, And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So this is talking about the times of Noah and the flood. So God created man. Man started to sin and have a wild Coachella event outside in the world. And God was like looking at them like, Man, these people are so far from me. And he said, I'm, I'm sorry that he made man. So was God like, oh man, I should have never done that. I made a mistake. I didn't really think about it and I messed up. No, I don't know why because our God is perfect. So right here when the Lord is saying he's sorry, he's speaking, he's giving us words through his prophets written in the Bible that we can understand a little bit more of what God is going through. That emotion where he has that heartache for what is happening to mankind 
and he knew it was going to happen. Again, in 1 Samuel 15, verse 11, the Lord says, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me. And there's another example. God regrets. Does God really, like the way we do, regret like because he made a mistake? No. He's then describing, man, this is what Saul has done in his life to turn away from me. Another anthropomorphism right here. Now, if we didn't know better from these verses, it would seem, though, that God is making mistakes, but we know he's not. God is perfect. You see, there's nothing that we can do to change God's love for us. God is always pouring out his love. So it doesn't matter how many times we have to come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. His love is always there. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can, sometimes we think, okay, if, if I start going to church and reading my Bible, then the Lord's going to love me more. But that's not true. God already loves you. And he desires for you to be there, yes. But his love is consistent. And we just have to open ourselves up to receive it. And here's something else. There's nothing that we can do when we fail that God would love us any less. It's always there. You see, when we understand who God is in our life, we begin to live that way. We begin to walk in this. So now, understanding who we're preparing for, who we're we're preparing to meet our maker, when Jesus is going to encourage us this morning to prepare for the Lord, we can understand, man, this is what we're walking into. So let's look at Luke chapter 11. Point one, be a faithful servant. Be a faithful servant. And let's look at verses 35 of Luke chapter 12. Jesus said, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes back and knocks, they may open to him immediately. So now Jesus is going to give us a parable this morning. He's now going to give us a a parable of a comparison of a faithful servant and an evil servant. And he talks about to his disciples, he said, look, look, listen here. They used to wear these robes, right? The men. Kind of weird, but they wore robes back then. Unless you do wear a robe at home, no judgment here. But back then they would wear robes when they would go to work and do other different things. And to gird your robe meant you would drop down with the, the excess fabric that was on your robe. You would pull it up behind you, and then you would tie it almost kind of like a diaper on yourself so that way you could be ready to work, to get dirty. You could get on your knees, or if you needed a fight, you could get into a fight, warfare, whatever it was. That was what girding your loins meant. And Paul taught the Ephesians to gird themselves with the belt of truth. And then Jesus here is saying you need to have your lamps burning. And that represented readiness, being ready for what's going to come. And he's giving now this illustration of the master groom coming back from his honeymoon. 
And there, with that, there, there's got to be preparation and service and a willing heart. You see, the, this master groom that he's referring to had these servants who were underneath him. And as the master groom was away on his honeymoon, when he came back, there was work that was going to be done. Look at verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and I will come and serve them. So these are how happy the servants are of, of this master groom. They were the ones who were prepared and willing. When I, when I look at what, a, what it is to be a servant of our master groom, who is Jesus, and we are the bridegroom. I know it's a little weird for guys to say, oh, we're the bridegroom. But it's, it's an illustration. We're waiting for Jesus to come return. And with that, we're supposed to be servants in the meantime. Have you guys seen the movie Ben-Hur? So I, I talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night. It's kind of interesting that the word servant comes up again this uh, Sunday morning. Because the word servant, it also means under rower. So Ben-Hur was this movie that featured Charlton Heston. And Charlton Heston was this Roman uh, army uh, leader, like a general. And he ended up getting in a, in a bad spot where then the, his superiors disliked him, so they basically exiled him, and they turned him into a slave. And Charlton Heston, then there's this scene in the movie Ben-Hur where he's tied and chained to a boat, and he's mixed in with all these other slaves who are what's called under-rowers. And as the, the, the ship is moving forward, they're all together in unison. All these slaves are moving this, these huge oars that help the, the ship propel. And so the, the uh, general is looking at Ben-Hur, and he's kind of angry with him. He doesn't like him. So he starts to test him, and he starts to bang the drum. And they're like, oh, battle speed. And they're like, doom, doom. And that's like kind of the tempo of the, the, the oars. And then he's like, attack speed. And he's like, dumb, 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 dumb. And the, the guys are just like, like holding on. Dudes are fainting over and dying, passing out. And Ben Hur's just, just going for it. And he's even like ramming speed. And it's faster, faster, faster. And then he just stops. And the guy's like, all right, that's it. Everyone's done. And then they all like are fainting and passing over. And Ben Hur is just still there with, with the under rower. And it, that illustration, that's what a, a servant is supposed to be. A servant to Christ. Someone who, who's not directing the, where the ship is going, but someone who's just a faithful under rower. Just there serving. And that's what we are called to be. In our life, we need to put our will aside and say, all right, God, where are you leading this ship? Help me to serve in it. You see, sometimes we have it thinking in this life, well, in order to be great, you need to be at the top of the food chain. It's a doggy dog world, and I, I need to climb my way to success in the top. But remember when the sons of Zebedee, James and John, they desired greatness in their life? And they were mama's boys, and they told their mom, hey, go talk to Jesus for us. And so the mom went to go talk to Jesus and was said, hey, when you go into heaven, can you make it so that my sons get to be on your right hand and on your left hand? And Jesus told them, he said, look, are, are they able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? 
And they didn't understand. They said, well, yes, we're ready. We're, we, we can do it. We could take it on. Little did they know what he was saying. And then the other disciples, when they heard them talking about this, trying to become greater, they were upset. They're like, man, like, what the heck? Like, who do these guys think they are? They think they could just kind of hustle their way in? So then Jesus says something to the disciples who want to have greatness in their life. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, Jesus says this. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus came as an example of what a servant was. Remember, he even got down in a slave's garment and began to wash the disciples' feet. And that's what we need to be in our life. I dare one of you guys to go to your neighbor and be like, hey, can I clean your restroom this week? Man, the awkwardness of that. But that's what it was like for these disciples. They were walking around, dirty, smelly. They had feet. They didn't have their, their Nike kicks back then. So their feet were just full of filth. And Jesus got down on his knees and washed them. You see, maybe we don't need to go to our neighbor's restroom tomorrow. But what about in our homes? Are we serving there? Do we have that servant's heart? Point two, be ready at all times. Be ready at all times. Let's look at verse 38 through 40. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So right here in these verses, Jesus, he gives an illustration of what kingdom life is like. Now, perhaps you've heard the wise sage once say, Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You see, people are always comparing what life is like. They say, well, life is like this, life is like that. Jesus right here illustrates to us that life is like a servant waiting for his Lord. Life is like a servant waiting for his Lord, that kingdom life. And he's saying, look, blessed, that word for blessed means, oh, how happy. How happy are the servants in this verse? And there's a comparison made, a comparison from those who were ready, were prepared for when the master, the bridegroom, was going to come versus another situation of a man who has a house who doesn't know that his, a thief was actually going to rob his house on a particular night. And I, I think uh, in our life, usually, you know, we prepare for things that we know are coming, right? 
We prepare for the holidays, right? Right? And, and with that, when we know something's coming, what do we tend to do? We tend to procrastinate, don't we? We're like, ah, oh, Christmas is coming, you know, but it's good. I got time. And all of a sudden, it's Christmas Eve, and you're still getting all the gift cards for all of your family. And it's like, man, we, we procrastinate when we know when something is coming. And we still prepare, but we do often procrastinate because we know exactly when it's going to come. But how about the things that we don't know that are coming when we have to prepare for those things? How about like car accidents? We drive around with our seatbelts, right? Don't we? Why? Because we don't know when that cop's going to drive next to you. <laughs> or even more importantly, we don't know when we're going to get hit by another car. Or perhaps when you're going to hit that other car. So the seatbelt is there and we wear it all the time, 100%, because we're prepared for something that is unexpected. You know, in our life, it's better to live a life where you are expecting the unexpected because then you won't be greatly disturbed when it happens. When the trial comes, you're like, Lord, you're in control. You see, we don't know the day or the hour when Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to come. So we should be more prepared for that moment, for when that is coming. Because some of us are preparing for Jesus the way that we prepare for the holidays. We're procrastinating. Oh, we got time. I got time. You know, I'm not that old yet. And maybe Jesus isn't coming yet. Holidays, procrastination. But we need to be preparing for Jesus the way that we prepare for the car crash. Fully, completely, all the time, ready to go. You know, I asked myself, if I knew that Jesus was coming tomorrow, would I be living differently? And the answer is, yeah, probably. But I want to live my life in such a way where it, I, I don't need to change so much if I find out God is coming tomorrow. Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I want to live that lifestyle where I'm ready. And that's an encouragement for us to, to live that way. The Bible teaches that today is the day of salvation. We don't need to wait and prolong us to get right with the Lord. People don't need to do that. And I've been encouraged. Take this opportunity to this morning as if this was your last opportunity to be here. Take the opportunity this morning as if this was going to be your last opportunity to show someone love, to use your spiritual gift, to be with your family. Man, when you think of that, it, it, it hits a little bit deeper, right? If you knew that tomorrow was your last day here on this earth, man, how much more different would we live? And it's not to get all scary and like, oh man, we're going to die. But to then just allow the Holy Spirit to really allow you to enjoy what he's doing in your life today. See, because then we think, well, God would call us to do something amazing today, right? Well, maybe God just called you to just spend time with your friends, your family, to love on them. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, out of the New Living Translation, John writes, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is, and all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure. 
just as he is pure. See that eager expectation that Jesus is going to come? We, we keep ourselves pure in this. There's a cleansing experience. How do we do that? It's, it's simple. We abide. We abide in our relationship with Jesus. We walk with him. Oftentimes, the, the high school students I used to work with used to tell me, hey, how do you, how do you even hear, like, have a relationship? How do you talk to God? How do you know, uh, how do you grow in your relationship with God? And some of them, especially if they were dating at the time, I'd be like, well, how did you get to know your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Like, well, I, I talk with them, we hang out, we do things. I'm like, it's the same way. When we read our Bibles, that's us hearing from the Lord. When we pray, that's us also talking to the Lord. And how, how about adding this to your prayer? Sometimes when we're, we're praying for things, yes, yes, that's good. But maybe just waiting to hear back from the Lord. Just waiting in that silence of saying, God, what, what do you want to say to my heart right now? And just sitting there and waiting. Waiting for God to speak. Maybe he might guide you to, to open the Bible. Maybe he might guide you to put on a worship song. And then you just allow him to talk back to you. It's a two-way street, the relationship with God. And it grows. In verse 41, it says, Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or, or to all people? Now look at this. Jesus is right in the middle of his lesson, right? talking about preparation for the Lord. And, Jesus, and Peter just comes and says, hey, is this just for us or like for everybody else? And Jesus is like, dude, what are you talking? He carries on right into the next verse, doesn't even respond to what Peter is doing. So my point three now is be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. In verse 42, and the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward? whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. What's kind of interesting is I love how when I'm teaching on a Sunday morning, somehow it piggybacks from Wednesday night and Wednesday night also piggybacks from Sunday morning because the word steward was taught on Wednesday night. That's someone who's a governor or a manager, a household of some sort of business, someone who's like a leader. And Jesus is saying, look, a faithful servant is one to whom the master can give responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. You know, when I, when I think about being a faithful steward, I think about my work as an HVAC technician. You see, the, I've seen guys come alongside Alliance Industrial, that's a little commercial, Alliance Industrial, and they didn't have experience at all. Usually you have to get some schooling to get some trade work under your belt, but these guys had no experience, but somehow they knew somebody who got them the job. And I, I saw one guy in particular, his name was Johnny, didn't have a lot of experience at all in the trade. But one thing he told me, he's like, you know what? I just want to be there early. I'm going to show up on time. And, and that way, if I, if, I, if I mess up, they know, well, I'm here. 
that's a big impact in the work world. Being available. Do we show up on time? Are we there early? Do our, our bosses, do they look at us like, man, this guy's kind of a, like a flake. You know, a, as believers, as Christians, we should be trustworthy. We should be showing up on time. And, and I want to try to implement that in my life so that when people look at Christians, they're not like, ah, oh, man, th- this guy's a flake. Now, what has God put you guys in charge of? Think about the ministries that God has placed you in. Think about the families. Think about the work areas. Are we being faithful with what God has placed us in charge of? Family, work, school. See, being faithful, it it doesn't mean that we're perfect because we're not. But it means that we're striving to do our best before the Lord. Remember, we don't work for man. We work for God. See, there would be times when I'd be on the roof and it's sweating. I'm taking out these dirty air conditioning filters. And I'm just like, it's hot and I'm sweaty and I'm all dirty everywhere. I'm like, how long, Lord? How long? Like, when are you going to open it up so we, I could do just uh, ministry 24-7, God? Come on. And God's like, nah, you're not ready. And we don't like being told, no, we're, we're not ready, do we? For some of us, it's, well, Lord, just bring me my my wife, bring me my husband. And the Lord's like, "Mm, you're not ready. I wasn't ready. I am. You see, what has God called us to? Sometimes we think that if we could just be at church 24-7, that it'd be a good thing. We're like, oh, yeah, then we'd be good. We wouldn't have to face with off with all, all that sin. And, and let me stand here before you guys and let you know that I found out the hard way that when I left my secular job and was in ministry full-time for a season, I found out that I couldn't run from myself. I was running from the world when I had you know ministry and the secular job, and I felt like the world was the bad guy, and here I am just being persecuted all the time, and I just need to be at church and then when I stepped into the church 24-7, I realized, like, oh my gosh, like, I'm a sinner. And the church isn't my safe place anymore. Because now I'm bringing the sin. And God showed me, look, God uses imperfect vessels in his ministry. So where, does, where has God called you? See, the reality is that a lot of us are, are called to a secular job. That's good. Because then we could be a light in the world. Let's not forsake that, that post when God's called you to be there to minister to people. Point four, don't be unbelieving. Jesus says, but if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and the female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Unbelief. See, people who don't believe in Jesus, they're not preparing for him to return right now. 
We have so many examples in the Bible of what unbelief did to a nation. Look at the Israelites. Look at even before that. Look at the time of Noah. God comes to Noah and says, Noah, you're going to build me an ark. Don't go watching the Russell Crowe version of Noah unless you just want to be entertained. Completely unbiblical. But entertaining. Now, unbelief was in the hearts and minds of the people who were around Noah at the time. Noah was there building that ark for anywhere between 55 to 75 years. Noah was preparing for the flood. God told him it was going to rain, and it hadn't rained before. Not like that. So people would be like, Noah, what are you doing, man? This giant building. I'm, the rain's coming. What's the rain? It's the water from the sky. Crazy man. Hey, they, no, Don't listen to Noah. He's just a crazy old guy. And you want to know why they didn't believe? Because they never seen rain before. Later on, the Israelites, they're out there wanting to, to go to the promised land. They're being led by Moses. And all of a sudden they get right to the border of the promised land. They send out the spies to go scope out the land. And they're like, oh my gosh, these guys are giants in the land. God told us that the land was ours, but you know what? The giants, they're going to keep us out. So we're not going to go in there. And God said, okay, because you guys don't believe now, you're going to wonder the wilderness for 40 years. Unbelief kept them out of the promised land. You want to know why? It's because they never seen God take them into a promised land before. They didn't see how God can do that. And then what did Joshua do? Joshua believed. Joshua was like, you know what, God, I have faith in the things that I have not seen in my life. That you can help take the, ish, the Israel nation to go conquer these lands, to slay them, so that we can have Israel. You guys want to know why people don't believe that Jesus is coming back today? Because they've never seen a rapture before. But the floods did come, didn't they? And the Israelites did get the promised land. And Jesus died and rose again. And Jesus is going to come. He's going to return. Just because you haven't seen it yet doesn't mean it hasn't hap- it's not going to happen. In your life, there's things that you've been praying for, waiting for. Just because you haven't seen it happen yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Our God is a God who breaks through the impossible. And this can happen in your life. Even if you haven't seen it yet. All things are possible with God. I had a verse in Hebrews that I'm going to move on. We're, we're making, making time today. In verse 47, it says, And the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. You see, this is the danger of rejecting God. Did I skip verse 46? I'm so sorry. Chapter 12, verse 46. Let me read 46 again. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him with his portion of the believers. No, I did go through that. This is the danger though. The danger of separating yourself from Jesus, not being prepared, 
I have to be as a, as a pastor giving you as truth with love that hell is a real place. Being cut in two is this illustration here of that eternal separation from God. And it's going to happen when the world least expects it. Then that's the danger of rejecting God. You see, one of the attributes, I'm not, I don't have it up there this morning, but God is a God of wrath. But God's wrath is based on his righteousness, which is based on his love. So how do we prepare for God's will? Point six, consider your attention. How do we prepare for God's will? Consider what we're focusing on. What are you guys focusing on this morning? Where is your attention right now? Are we cold towards Jesus? You see, when we come to church, do we expect God to actually speak to us? Are we kind of clocking in and clocking out? What about in our devotional time when we read, when we study our Bible by ourselves? Are we expecting God to speak to us? Or are we just doing our Christian duty? We need to have that expectation. Do you guys come to church ready to change? Are you guys coming here and saying, okay, I don't want to leave this place the same I want something in me to change. God, let me expect that this morning. And I bet you when you start to expect that God is going to speak to you and that things are going to change in your heart and your mind, you're going to start to see it happen. You see, some of us are spiritually asleep. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Paul writes, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. And there's all these things in life that distract us from that. Point seven, live in repentance. In Matthew chapter three, verse one, it says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See that word for repentance, it means to change one's mind, to change course. I've heard it said before that the more you grow in the Lord, the more often you actually repent. We see we don't become sinless, but we do sin less. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, how often do we have to repent? How often do we have to repent? Jesus said daily. To take up your cross daily is to die to yourself daily. That means there's a part of your flesh that needs to die every day so that we could follow after Jesus. Point eight. Focus now, or focus on the heart of worship. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40. When Jesus was asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I love this verse because when I first became saved, when I first got saved, the very night I got saved, I, I called and texted one of my pastors, uh, Brendan Beeler, and I was like, hey, man, 
I'm done with the world. And he knew I was struggling. He, he knew I was around the church and that I needed to get out of the world. And I was like, I'm done, bro. I, I gave my life to Jesus tonight. And he said, okay, I want you to read this chapter in Matthew ch- chapter 22. And I was like, okay, I read the whole chapter. And, and then he asked me after, he's like, hey, like, what, uh, so what'd you think of the chapter? And I was like, I kind of went over some things I saw. But in particular, I was like, well, this one part really stuck out to me when Jesus said to love God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, and then love your neighbor. I was like, because he kind of dumbed it down. He kind of made it really simple because I'm asking God, what do I do now as I'm a new believer? I'm a new Christian. What's the next step? And he makes it real simple for us. Love God and love people. That's all we got to do. And in that, hang all the rest of the laws. You see, it's not about religion. It's about your relationship with Jesus. It's not about church attendance. It's not even about being born into a Christian home. It's not about water baptism. And it's not even about making sure that you read your Bible every day. Though you should read your Bible day, it's not about checking in and saying, okay, oh, all right, we're good. I read my Bible today. It's not about that either. It's about being born again. It's about having the Holy Spirit living in your life, working through your life. See, so often we try to justify ourselves with good works, but Jesus is looking in the heart of things. Sometimes we get caught up in traditions. You know, I want to encourage this maturity as a believer is that we base our truth on the word of God and that the word of God, it's going to supersede emotion and experience. And we line it up with scripture. Yeah, what I, what I teach here is I don't teach a, a, a social Jesus. Jesus isn't trying to, to fix the current structure of world that we have. He's trying to make a new one. And it starts in our hearts. What we think about God, again, is the most important thing about us. Point nine. My last point this morning. Receive the grace and power of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, this is the grace of God in our life. That word for grace, it's unmerited favor. It's God giving us something that we do not deserve. You know, so many times in our life, we're, we're trying to work for, for salvation. We're trying to work for God's blessings in our life. And God's saying, no, 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 I just want you to receive it this morning. I just want you to take my grace. You say, yeah, but God, I, I messed up this week. So I, I've forgotten that. I just want you to take my grace this morning walk in that knowing that i look at you as that finished work i don't look at you and see oh man when you're gonna be there and on judgment day the good judgment day when we are in heaven with god and god is looking at at, at the video screen of your life he's not gonna look at the good work that you did and say okay this part of it was good right here um when you were you know giving 
But then look at, I could see in your heart and in your mind, um, some of it you were just doing it so you could get other people's attention, maybe a girl's attention. And, and God's like, so the, you know, God's not going to do that in heaven. He's going to cast out all the bad and say, look at man, this part of your life was pure, awesome. Receive this reward. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to read these last two verses and I, I'm going to go over them the, the following Sunday because we are um, going to have communion right now. But in verse 48, it says, But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So you see, you guys know the truth. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the teachings of God this morning. And I know that you guys have grown up with the Bible in your life. So much is required of you. We have a responsibility here. God doesn't just save us and say, okay, you're good. Now just, you know, glide, be good. No, God has a calling for your life. God has a purpose for you knowing these truths about who Jesus is. So we can now walk in that fulfillment. Okay, God, what are you going to do? What do you want to do with me this week? How do you want me to prepare the Lord and one of the best ways that we could do that start that off this week is with communion so we are going to have communion today and it is a blessing to be able to remember what Jesus did for us so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a song of worship and during that song if you need to take a moment and get right with the Lord this morning then do that and then if you should do that and you want to have partake in communion, we do have the, uh, the bread and the cup in the back there on the table. So as I'm doing worship, go ahead, feel free, go grab that cup, go back to your seat and hold on to it because we're going to take communion together this morning. as he stood accused be 
he took a crown of thorns. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah. And honor unto Thee. Now my debt is paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. The sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the sun sets free, oh, is free. Indeed, oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and Father, we just ask that as we partake of communion this morning, Lord, that you would bless it, Father. You would bless our hearts, our minds. If this morning you're seeking a, a miracle, healing or of some sort, or you need God to intervene on a situation before we partake of communion, why don't you stand and I, I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, lift up those who are standing this morning. They come with, with needs, whether it's a trial, Lord God, an infirmity. I pray by that your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would do a miracle in that situation. Whether you would bring peace beyond understanding, that you would use them in love, in truth, and in grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you guys may be seated. Out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about the Lord's Supper. He talks about the meaning behind it. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So remembering what Jesus did on the cross, how his body was broken, let's partake of the bread together.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Likewise, in the same manner, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's partake of the cup. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full By the precious blood that my Jesus spilled Now the curse of sin has no hold on me Whom the sun sets free, oh is free indeed Oh that rugged cross my salvation where your love poured out over me now my soul cries out hallelujah praise and honor unto thee praise and honor unto thee praise and Father, I lift up, Father, your people here this morning, Lord. Your church, Father, would you bless them, Father, keep them. Would your face shine upon them, Lord Jesus. Father, that you would use us mightily, Lord God, that we would be prepared for the Lord's return. Father, we look unto you, the author, the finisher of our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more song. You guys can all stand and, and you guys will be dismissed this morning. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen king savior he can move the mountains my god is mighty to save he is mighty to save forever author of salvation he 
rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Amen. Amen. Be blessed this week. We hope to see you guys soon. Next Sunday, we'll be continuing our Gospel of Luke. So God bless you. We love you guys. In Jesus' name.